All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence already this morning. We thank you for what you've done. We believe that you are a miracle-working God, capable of absolutely changing our lives in a moment. You're very interested, God, in sending us to extravagant places to do amazing things for you. And we believe, God, that this morning you're, you're pushing us in that direction. You're equipping us. You're changing our mindsets, not just about ourselves, but about you and how big you are, how good you are, and how excited you are to use us. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to just prod us and pro poke us some more, challenge us, get in our heads and our hearts about what it is you dream of for our lives. We invite that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How good was uh, David and Marie, the worship? Yep. They're amazing. They're amazing. I love them. We're so lucky to have them. Um, we're going to talk about, go ahead and put it up, Alex. We're going to start Ananias the Merciful. That's a cool title, Ananias the Merciful. Ananias is a guy in the New Testament we'll talk about here in a moment. Uh, before we get to him, though, we're going to talk about Paul. So you guys are familiar with Paul. He's the one that wrote everything. He's the, the, the hero of the New Testament. He is responsible for the, the, the Gentiles finding their faith, truthfully. He was the guy that God sent out so, so most of us, if not all of us, would have a shot at making our way into the kingdom. Paul is a centerpiece of Christianity. Hugely important, probably, I would just say, irreplaceable. The, the impact that one individual had on the history of humanity is way beyond compare. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't put anyone other than Jesus next to him and say, like, had such a significant impact on human history. Hopefully, you guys have a sliver of a dream in your life where you go, I want to make a big impact on human history. I hope you do. I hope you do. And I can tell by your faces, most of you don't think that way, and that's okay. But we're going to challenge you over and over and over again to start thinking bigger about your role in history, not just your existence in the Bay Area or your existence in this culture, your plans for your life, your fulfillment of your family's expectations. Those are good things to navigate, but they're small. They're small because of the size of our God. If we're really his children, and we're really his followers, we must begin to take on a mindset that mirrors the person we are children of, followers of. So if my dad is like the richest man on earth, like the richest man on earth, like Jeff Bezos plus uh, Bill Gates plus, pick him, Tesla guy, Elon Musk, like just add, add them all up, and Vince's dad is that guy. But then Vince walks around and he's like, I just love the new Honda Civic. It is the best car I've ever seen. <laughs> and Vince is like, hey, I saw there's a sale at JCPenney's. We should go get some new pants. And then Vince is like, I can't eat anything other than McDonald's because it just, it just doesn't feel right to me. It's too expensive. You wouldn't say those are bad things, but you'd kind of look at them and go, hmm, this is odd. This is odd behavior. Why is, why is Vince acting that way when obviously his dad's like, they have more, has more money. He, like, money is like not even part of the conversation. Why is his life 
seemingly shaped around a disconnect between his actual like inheritance and who he is. There's something off or wrong. It's interesting to me that so many Christians have such small ideas about their role on earth when their dad is the most powerful thing that exists. He's the most wealthy. He's the most capable of opening any door to influence anywhere. But most of us somehow live disconnected from that. We don't exist with the mindset that I can do anything he assigns me to do. We live with the mindset that I just, I got to be careful and cautious and kind of live within the space that I'm in. I shouldn't dream or think in a bigger way because I don't see a practical path for those things to happen. And if you are of that, like, if you go kind of guilty, like if you say, if I was, raise your hands, is that kind of described? Kind of guilty? Usually it's because you haven't spent time understanding how big and amazing he is. You've only spent time looking at yourself and what you can see on your own horizon, and you meditate on it, and you go, God, where are you? God, where are you? Show me, show me who you are. Show me who you are. But you're looking here, you're looking down, and you're looking in. And what, we, what I want to challenge us to do today, when we think about Paul, we think about Ananias, is we have to look up. We have to look up and get, make contact with Jesus and start to behold him, like get our eyes fixed on him so that we can start to realize who he is, how powerful he is, how capable he is of doing anything with anyone, even me. Say even me. Okay, say a little bit. Say even me. Okay, you're still awake. Good. All right. So, so there's, this is not a thing to be shamed, shamed about. But there's something to consider. I'm probably capable of more than I think I am if I'm partnered with someone who's capable of everything. All right? That seems really simple and really obvious. The money example is a real simple example. It's like someone's really wealthy and, you, and they, they are 100% dedicated to your success. You eventually would figure it out and go, oh, I don't have to worry about money. I just have to live along the path that my partner says we can live on. It's simple. Am I on the, are we on the path? Yep, we're on the path. So we, that means we're provided for. Yep, okay, let's not focus on that anymore. Let's just assume there's always going to be provision for all the things he has in mind for us to do together. And sometimes we'll do small things, but other times we'll probably get to do big things. Doesn't matter. I'm not going to look out for sales at McDonald's anymore. I'm just going to realize if everything's okay and he will provide. All right, I'm going to change my mindset along with him and let's see where it goes. Now, don't start going and buying coach bags and, and Fendi glasses and, and, and crazy expenditure. Don't walk out of here and go, hey, Vince said we should go shopping today. It's just a mindset. It's an understanding that I don't have to be defined by the things that define my parents or their parents or define my culture or the, maybe the degree or the world I work in currently. I just need to trust him and know him and dream big. All right. That's a foundational concept that we just want to continually challenge ourselves with because I'll, I'll guarantee you not one of us is, has arrived at complete freedom where we just totally trust God in all the ways we should. And we're not, none of us are there, but it's something we have to constantly remind ourselves, am I acting like his child or am I acting like I've heard about 
how big he is. You know, and sometimes it's just like I got to slow down and look at him again. And so when we consider Paul and Ananias, because those two, they're joined together in our story of Ananias today, it really centers around Paul. But these are people who made an impact on the world. They made a huge impact on the world. And they did it because they yielded to the voice of God. Their ability to, in their moment, in their season, say, God, what do you want me to do? And even though it was a little rough going at first, they yielded and they followed. It was simple. And therefore, God then began this work through them and in them that absolutely changed humanity. So, what I want to do is I want you to turn to someone that you think could do better in life, and you say, you're more like Ananias than you think. Okay, go ahead. All right, let's take a look up here. We're going to read through this. So this, this passage on Ananias is relatively brief. It's, it's amazing how much is in here. Acts 9, 10 through 16, if you're going to read it later. But we'll just work through these slides. The red are things I kind of want to highlight, and we'll, just, we'll go through this together. Now, there was a disciple, say disciple, in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. All right, we're going to pause there. Ananias was a disciple. That means he'd been saved through someone else's evangelism. Was he one of the original apostles? No, no. He's a guy that was saved through the message of someone, maybe Jesus, maybe someone else, and he lives in this area of Damascus. Jerusalem? No. Damascus. Where's Damascus? It's in Syria. It's kind of off. It's not in the core of like what I would call the religious hub of Judaism or Christianity necessarily. He's, he lives in another place in another time. He had been saved through the message of the gospel. He was then living an honorable life. Paul later tells us that Ananias was someone who had favor with all the Jews, all the religious people of the day. Like they knew who he was. They liked him, even though he was a Christian. So he was just living a good life doing probably the same things he had done prior to getting saved. And he was in the place that God had assigned him, basically where he was born, where he worked, where he lived. And so he is a disciple of Christ there, but he's not one of the heroes yet. He probably, I mean, I would just say he probably never really becomes a hero. He's not really well known, really celebrated. But God chooses to go to him. And how does he go to him? He goes to him in a vision Okay, vision, it's going to come up again. The language of the Lord oftentimes is visions. Visions in the Bible show up in dreams. Because when I say the word vision, it should mean a couple things to you. It's like when you have a dream, it's like a movie that plays in your head, right? Except you're asleep. If you're awake or kind of awake, a vision is similar to that. It's like a movie that plays in your head. That's how God, the guy that created all this stuff, chose to interact 
to accomplish one of the most important things that would ever happen in the history of Christianity. He chose a guy that was living in a place, going about his business in the most faithful way he could. He doesn't appear to him in the room physically and say, hey, I have a really important assignment. He doesn't show up with an angel. He shows up in a vision. So that means he was probably either praying, hanging out with God, or he was walking down the street, or he was sitting eating lunch, and suddenly he has this movie play through his mind. How many of you have ever caught yourself thinking on, considering, it's almost like a movie plays through your mind? Sometimes those can be very good, sometimes they can be very bad, but there's this reality that we're all kind of designed with where we have a mind, and I think we like to call it an imagination, where we can simply see things. Is it significant always? No. But it's really interesting that the God who created humanity uses this vehicle of communication to accomplish absolutely significant things. So here's my challenge to you. If you're a person who doesn't actively have a vision life, you say, well, that sounds really special and far out, and like, I don't know how that works. I've never had a vision. It sounds sp spiritual, mystical, spooky. I would encourage you to just understand you've been equipped with tools that God can use to communicate with you. What you should do is see these people in the Bible who you're related to if you've become born again. You're now grafted into the family. They're our family. Our family's modeling this for us. You say, God, I want you to begin to open up my vision life. I don't know what that means fully. I don't know how you'll show up, but you communicated with my ancestors this way. I'd like to learn how to communicate with you that way too, or really, it's the opposite way around. I want to open it up to where you teach me how to hear better from you. It doesn't always have to happen through an audible voice. I think so many of you guys, if I were to sit you down and go like, how big are your dreams for your life? We'd go through the conversation, and we'd get to about here, and if I was to say, what if you could hear from God super clearly? Now tell me what your dreams would be like. If you, without any reservation or hesitation, were super clear about your communication with him, do you think your dreams would get bigger or smaller? I think we know the leading question. Yes, Cecio, you want to answer? I think you're going to get it right. Bigger. bigger. Oh, she got it right. There's a 50-50 chance. Woo! I'm proud of you. She also teaches our children's children's church. Therefore, you can trust your kids with Cecia in children's church. She answers that question right. It is true that we all feel like we could do more if we heard better. I just want to encourage you, hearing, like with my children with us, is a choice, and it's something we develop, and we get better and better at it should we choose to tune into it. Stephen could speak to me in multiple languages. It would take a lifetime of commitment to me to learn the other language that Stephen knows that I don't. But if I was really serious about it, I think I'd lean in and go, Stephen, we're going to spend more time together because I want to get this down. You're comfortable speaking that way. I have no idea how that language works. But I just want to tell you I value it. I value you. And if you communicate that way, I want to learn that language too. You see, so many of us are, are not in a box of smallness because God has chosen to be small. 
We're in a box because that's the only avenues we've allowed him to, to connect with us on, and we've never gone to him relationally and said, Stephen, God, <laughs> I'd like to learn all the ways you'd like to communicate with me. I don't believe it's just for a disciple in Damascus in that era. I think that's how you've done it throughout history. You've appeared to people in visions, dreams. You've spoken to them. You've, had, you've talked through donkeys at times. You've done all kinds of crazy creative stuff. You sp definitely speak through men in all of these, like, these offices, and you also speak through women. There's not one person you wouldn't communicate with on earth because you created them and you value them. So I, I just feel like I'm not hearing from you. Ask yourself the question, are you intentionally opening the door? Are you intentionally saying, God, just speak to me, meet me in every way? And so many of us will find that he's been speaking to us. We just didn't know it was him communicating. So many of you have a very active dream life. You wake up and you're like, gosh, I don't know what that meant. That felt really specific. It wasn't scary. I just don't understand it. And then you just like wake up and you're like, well, time for coffee. I'm, I'm going to work now. And you just leave it. And you're like, and God's like, well, missed another one. You know, like, and it's the, he, the nature of God is he invites you into things, but it's always your choice to turn relationally and go, oh, Stephen, you're speaking another language. I'm interested. Teach me more. And then I'd come back the next day and I'd go, I remember that picture you showed me. You want to talk to me about it today? Stephen, are you here? Stephen? <laughs> Not today. Okay. Not today. Next day. I'm on, it's still on my mind. You want to talk, to talk to me about it? I'm pursuing the source. I'm pursuing the source. I'm not confusing the source with pizza. <laughs> that was a bad pizza dream. Oh, stop it. You're ridiculous. Can you stop it? This is like a, it's a holy uh, canvas. Your mind, your heart, when you've given your life to God, your heart and your mind are a canvas that he has, he has washed clean. His blood has washed them clean. And then, he, then you have the opportunity to start to see that everything that comes in, what is the source? Is it you, God? Are you giving me a vision, a dream, a thought? Or is this something else? And you start to look and you go, I'm clean, I'm pure. There's got to be a source. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after God. And I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him to teach me his language. So luckily, Ananias was smart enough, wise enough, sensitive enough to the spirit that he responded in the same way Samuel responded after he was coached by his mentor. Do you guys remember that Old Testament story? He comes in three times. He's like, did you call me? Did you call me? And then eventually the priest whose name was, help me. Yeah. Ooh, Bible scholars everywhere. This is crazy. I really didn't know. <laughs> that wasn't a test. I had no idea. I needed your help. So yeah, Eli, Eli goes, hey, ask him, say, here I am. So Ananias knew that story. He had practiced this with God. He was familiar because he was a disciple. Not because he was an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. It's not just for the special ones. It's for everyone. He knew that God spoke to him, and he turned with the right posture, and he says, here I am. 
There's your, there's your lesson in the first section. Let's go to the next one. The Lord said to him, okay, so he had the right response. He said, what do you got to say to me? I know this is you. You give visions, all right? So I guess before we go here, any of you who have spent a lifetime thinking that God doesn't communicate with people, he only communicates with a certain people, and it wasn't you, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself because you've missed all this time, but let's start today saying, God, open my ears. That's it. Open my ears. God, open my eyes. So the next time Jesus walks in the room, he doesn't look around and go, oh, got a bunch of people with eyes closed and ears closed. He goes, oh, there's one with the eyes open. There's one with the ears open. They've been praying to me. They've been trying. Doesn't mean you create it all, but you just, you open heart, open heart, invitation. All right. So the Lord said to him, good job, Ananias, for listening. Nope. He says, get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. Saul has also seen a vision. A man named, and he saw a vision. In that vision, a man named Ananias comes in, and he lays hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Oh, this is crazy. So you're saying that God with two people at the same time is communicating about what's going to happen so they're both willing and able to receive what God had intended. Why doesn't God just meet him himself? He already did. You guys know the story that precedes this, right? Saul's on the road to go take out some Christians, and God shows up and blinds him, knocks him down, and he does that himself, whether it was him or an angel, whatever he sent, he does that. But then you follow this story and God stops doing it. He starts working through people. And this is where we all just wish God would change his behavior. We really do. We're like, I just, it would be so much easier if Jesus himself would walk into the room and be like, Vince, it's time for you to take this assignment. And you'd be like, yes, Jesus, this is easy. We should do this more often. This is really much simpler. You should choose this degree. You should take this class. You should wear these jeans. You should really conduct yourself in this way. Stay away from that girl, Vince. That's a bad one. Choose that guy. That's a good husband to be. Like, we just, why doesn't God do that for us? Because that's, this is his wisdom. He knows that what we're designed to do is intimately connect with him, but also in humility lean on one another. There's no kingdom manifesting on earth where humanity, out of their own choice, leans on one another and trusts in faith of God if he's constantly appearing, manipulating us like puppets. He needs us out of choice and out of faith to act like Abraham out of choice and out of faith leaned in and if you can imagine generation after generation where we just do that, we lean in, we're like, he speaks to me in visions and dreams. He gives me hints and clues. I think he's leading me this way. What do you think? And David starts playing the keyboard. I'm like, David, you're confirming my vision. <laughs> Marie starts singing. She's like, oh. I'm like, Marie, you knew. That's what happened in my vision. And I'm like, Stephen, and he starts speaking a weird language, and you're like, it's all true. Like, we, we lean into each other, and we trust, and we hear. And so Paul, can you imagine this moment? He's blind, like literally physically blind. 
He's been encountered by the Jesus, the God, the King, who he'd been persecuting and killing people for. Can you imagine how low Paul was? He wasn't big and strong. He came to realize he had literally contributed to the death of people who were pioneering for the king. He was low, he was broken, he was wounded, and he was sad. But he had this truth that had been come over him. And you have to imagine the thought life of Paul in this season. Did I get what I've deserved? I'll be blind for the rest of my life. Will I ever see again? Maybe not. But I definitely don't deserve to. There's a humility that's in Paul. And, but there's this same Jesus that encountered him, and he begins to lead him in this way that would shape the way Paul would lead others for a whole lifetime. And he says, Paul, there's someone coming, and this is what he's going to do. It's very specific, so you must trust. You can't be afraid, because think of it the other way. Paul had been killing Christians. Paul now that he realizes that the Christians were serving the right God, but he no longer has his natural and physical strength, he probably feels afraid. He probably realizes there's going to be some that want justice for his life. There'd probably a whole gang of people that were like, it would be better if he's just dead so that Christian faith could keep going. He's the ringleader, the persecutor of all of us. So Paul's in this vulnerable position, and Ananias has the right response. Let's go to the next one. It says, but Ananias answered, and this is important because I want to remind you, Ananias is human just like you and I. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil, say evil. evil. Oh, evil. He has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. So Ananias <laughs> is turning and reasoning with God. He's not, remember God was like, get up and go and do this. Very specific instructions. Specific person, he sees a whole scene, you're going to lay hands, they're gonna, he's going to receive his sight. That's a good thing, right? It's like, I'm going to use you to go work a miracle. That's not what Ananias is concerned with. So many of us are like, I want to work miracles in the name of Jesus and see his hand. Like, I want to do all the cool God stuff. It's interesting that God comes to Ananias and he's like, you're going to do all the cool God stuff. And Ananias goes, hold on, that guy is evil. <laughs> and, and like, really evil. Like the definition of evil literally has killed people. In, in, like, killed them. Wonderful people. Wonderful people. He doesn't deserve mercy. He deserves judgment. Why on earth would you send me to heal him? And what does God say? Go. He says it again. Go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I have to remind you 
that God so consistently puts us in positions where we're so uncomfortable executing his plans, regardless of how faithful we've been. And it's almost like it's God's way and nature to demand faith at every junction, every decision, every choice. Do you guys remember that Paul, like I'm gonna fast forward into Paul's like a really successful guy in, in the kingdom. Paul was the most Jewish of Jews. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Bible says. He was the most equipped person on earth to talk to Jews about Jesus. God sends him to Gentiles, the opposite, whom he was not prepared to speak to, whom he did not understand the culture of. He was completely foreign to those people. You guys remember Peter, the fisherman, the simple Jewish fisherman? Who is he sent to? Mostly the Jews. He becomes the pastor of pastors in Israel. He's like the head of the Christian church, more or less. James comes along, and he also is the same. But Peter was a simple, simple guy. Isn't it interesting that God didn't reverse the roles? Isn't it interesting that God, in his wisdom, forced both of them into a position of extreme discomfort as a lifestyle in order to accomplish God's purpose? I just wanna, I wanna introduce this thought to you guys. As God begins to call you into a place where you're doing mightier acts on his behalf, there will be discomfort, most likely with the people he calls you to. You go, I'm super equipped, Vince. I went to high school, and then I went to college, and I got a degree in, pick one, what? Molecular biology, there we go, boom. Crushed it. I did so well in that, I went to graduate school, and I, get, I did more of it. I did more molecules of biology. <laughs> I'm being silly. But I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to go into the mission field. Well, what's your mission field? Molecular biology world. I'm going to go do that arena. Great. Okay, I'll let you do a career for a while. You ready to do ministry now? You ready to do, like, all the cool God stuff that I've designed you for? Okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go evangelize on the street to poor people. Oh, wait a second. I'm equipped to go do an arena that I have prepared myself for. You actually said it was a good idea. I go there. Why are you sending me there? There's other people I know, don't look around, that would be more equipped for that. But I'm like worth, I, oh, did I say that? Worth? I, I'm comfortable up here. I have a value for myself that says I should be ministering to these people. And I'll just tell you guys, the power of God, the joy of God, the life of God will never flow through you if, you have, if you're like a sieve and you get to decide who it falls on and who it doesn't. You don't get that choice. You get obedience. So Ananias, in his way, he tried to do what all of us would do. He's like, God, I love your message. I love your ideas. Can we pick somebody else? I'll go here. I'll go there. I'll go there. But there, with that guy, it doesn't feel good to me. And I haven't even started to walk. God just, God's only response is the same response he'll give all of us. 
you must go and you got to go in faith because I have chosen them. I have chosen them. And so I just want to challenge you guys as we begin to open our hearts to say, God, I want you to use me in greater ways. I want you to send me to places that need you. Send me to relationships and people that I can actually impact and and really resurrect because your power is flowing through me. Do not be discriminating in who God sends you. Be obedient. Be willing to yield all of your prejudice. Be willing to yield all of your racism. Be willing to yield all of your idea of who is worth your time, investment, words, love. You see, I'm not equipped to heal a broken old woman. I'm a young, successful man. If God wants to send you to her, you go because you don't know what she needs. Maybe that young, successful man is the the embodiment of her son who she needed to see with new eyes and new light and you represent. You don't ever need to put the logic together as to why God is sending me. You just go and you just yield and you believe that if, like Ananias, I go, he'll equip me to do what he's sent me to do. All right. Let's do the next one. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul, just like the vision, so he knew what to do, and he said, brother, say brother. Oh, that's an important word. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The next, let's do the next slide and we'll come back to this one. And immediately something like scales, physical scales, fell from Saul's eyes. And his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, like Amanda was. Good job, Amanda. And taking some food, he regained his strength. All right, let's go back one slide. You say, why doesn't God do it himself? It'd be way more effective. If Jesus were here and he were to do the mission he decided you need to go do, every time he encountered the people that he'd sent you to encounter, he would do it in the same nature that Ananias did it. He would start with the word brother or sister. He would tell them, I value you. I love you. We're equals. We're the same. He would not say, I am here to give you here a ladder up to where you can reach me. He would come and at eye level, and oftentimes that means he would get down on his knees or down on his, on the ground, and he would make eye contact and he'd say, brother, I'm here and I'm with you. God has sent me to you to give you what you need in this moment. The foundations of who we must be if we're going to be facilitators of the lame, the broken, the needy, being transformed. The foundation must be that we do not see ourselves as equipped, elite, exclusive, predisposed to great things because of who we are and the choices we've made. We see ourselves as lowly, and able to connect with anyone who needs it, because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We called this today Ananias the Merciful. There's descriptions of what Ananias' name means, the Merciful. 
Ananias the merciful, because he showed mercy in his agreement with God. All he did was exactly what God told him to do. He didn't do more. He just went on the mission and did what God told him to do. But it took everything in him to surrender his personal instincts and say, this is good that I go and set him free. And so the bigger challenge, I think, for us that I want to just, I want to awaken us to, and I actually just use it as a tool of equipping. We're often stuck at home or stuck in our lane, not venturing out to do the miraculous work of God because there's these small instincts we have that separate from us from those who are truly in need. Usually, the ones who are truly in need are broken in a way that it shows up on the surface So you would call yourself discerning, I see there's a problem. But I think that word discernment is is set aside for something higher, where when you can see a problem on the surface, whether it's an emotional, physical, natural, financial, whatever, those those are plain eyes seeing. Those are natural eyes. When you see in the discernment way, you see the source of the problem. And so when you see a person and you see the brokenness on the outside or the need on the outside, your job as a Christian isn't to break down the the surface level problem. You're not to diagnose like a social worker would and say, let me get you into this physical situation because this physical change will, will put you in a safe place so that you can be restored. You're to first connect with a human being as a brother or sister. And you're to say, brother, sister, I'm here because God loves you and me the same. We both are in need of mercy. You're, you're under the symptoms of your moment. Saul, you cannot see because you are blind. It's really obvious. My instinct would be to say, Saul, you cannot see because you are blind because you are evil and awful. And you killed my friends. And you don't deserve mercy. You deserve justice. There's a justice system made for you. And I want to get you to the police department right now. Like that's, in the weirdest way, we as Christians go there first. And we go, we need need peace in our culture, in our society. We need order and structure. We gravitate to those things that get us off the hook to connect with people as brothers and sisters. And it's just normal human nature, guys. It's not you're a bad person and I'm a good one. We're all the same. The thing that has to be rewritten and reestablished in us is this mindset that when God sends us to those in need, they are like me. They need the same things I've needed, and therefore I'm equipped to heal them and set them free. But if I go, hmm, the root of your problem is your evil, And you wouldn't say evil. You're too refined. You'd go, the root of your problem are all the bad choices you made. You you set yourself up for this. You keep going back to the same drug. You keep going back to the same boyfriend. You keep going back to the same. They're broken under the weight of sin, just like you were broken under the weight of sin. But God's grace comes, and he says, brother, sister, son, daughter, we're family and I love you, and I have healing in store for you. And so for us, my challenge to you is one, open the door like Ananias did to the voice and leading of the Lord. 
It'll be different for each of us, but I guarantee you, God doesn't see a life for you where the balance of it is left wondering, will he communicate with me? He's longing for you to lean in and go, Stephen, teach me the other language. Teach me your languages, God. And guys, obviously, read your Bible. That's the easiest one he starts with. Pray, open your ears, listen to worship music, listen to the words. When you, when you have opportunity, spend time with him in silence and just go, God, I love you, and listen and wait. Close your eyes and see what pops into your mind. It's kind of, the, kind of the language of visions, right? Spend time pursuing the one who can send. And then when he says go, you turn to yourself and you go, you shut up. <laughs> you be quiet. Don't you argue with him because he's going to tell you to go and your first instinct's going to be, I'm uncomfortable. And then your next instinct's going to be the justification of that discomfort. And then your next thing's going to be, oh, that wasn't God after all. That was a bad idea. Oh, glad I didn't do that. That's how it happens. And remember, the nature of these invitations is so, um, it's, it's of such high worth that God, for a Saul, would come to you and say, I want to allow you to participate in something I'm going to do. I guarantee you if Ananias hadn't said yes, we would never have heard about him, but someone else would have. And the nature of God is to pursue those who he's chosen, and when he invites you into that process, realize he's giving me gold. He's giving me garments. He's telling me that I look like him so I can go. And anything in you or around you that's, that resists arrest and goes, I, I get it, I get the idea, I start walking, okay, God told me to lay hands on him, okay, I think I can do that. He told me to bless him, ah, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know how this is gonna go. And by the time you get there, you're like, hey, I'm dropping off food and I gotta leave. Like you've rewritten the script because you've talked through it in your mind and you're like, that's all I can really justify and get comfortable with. I just want to encourage you, radical obedience, radical risk is what yields radical results. Conservative, comfortable, logical paths to accomplishing things is what everyone without God does. You don't need God to do that stuff. You need his Holy Spirit to guide you into radical results. And it will always cost you your comfort. But you are capable of being an Ananias and setting someone free. And here's my question to you. How massive of an impact will the ones that God sends you to make? So you don't know. Ananias didn't know. God told him, I gotta tell him how much he's gonna suffer and that he's going to go to the Gentiles. Ananias was probably like, Gentiles? Suffer? Whew, that sounds like a tough assignment. wonder how that's going to go, but I'll get my part done. And so just under, understand, like, you don't know where this life is going and how many people they will impact. You don't know if God's going to miraculously fix all of their physical, emotional, financial problems in that moment and send them like a Saul all over the world to set a generation free. And so your job isn't to go down the path with reason and logic and say this person is worth this much. You assume that if God is after them, oh, this is really important. There's something really at stake here. I am lucky to be a part of this conversation. All right.
the last piece. The last piece, and then we're going to go. But the last piece is, you, like Saul, have God's hand and selection on your life. There is nothing that you have done that disqualifies you from the rest of your life making a magical, amazing, monumental impact on the world. Do not discount your condition in this moment and say, therefore my dreams are only here. You say, I am a child of God, worth pursuit, just like the Holy Spirit's been pursuing you and drawing you even here. He's been drawing you here so he can meet you and then begin to communicate with you and call you to great things. So you open the door today and you say, God, speak to me, meet me. I am not going to meditate on who I've been. I'm going to dream about who I could be if I'm partnered with you. There is nothing you've done that will disqualify you. Saul was a murderer. You are not. And even if you were, God is after you. Understand it. There's no sin that you're currently participating in that's too big or too great. There's nothing in your lineage where you say, I'm harassed, like we covered in worship, where it's like, my mind, I can't control it. It doesn't feel good. It's not godly. God is capable, and he wants to set you free. He wants that canvas of your heart and mind to be wide open so you can go make a massive impact, massive impact. All right, let me pray for you. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited because you're like Ananias, and if you were like Saul, you're not anymore. God is going to make awesome, awesome fruit out of your life and your dedication. So, Father, we just we commit our minds and our hearts to you this morning. We ask you to come and fill us up with hope, fill us up with peace. We pray that you would just cleanse our mind, almost like you did with Saul, where you, you take the scales off and you allow us to begin to see visions like Ananias saw visions, that there's nothing that would keep you from communicating with us from this point forward. I just release open eyes to everyone in this room. If you see, I ask that God would open your eyes in a greater way so that you would see more. If you hear his voice, you feel like you're led by the Spirit, I ask that the volume would be turned up and you would feel more and more like he is shouting and yelling and celebrating you and with you every day. I pray that any shame like Saul had because of his choices in the past would just fall off today and that these would know they've been drawn by the Spirit of God to live a new redeemed life where they go and work miracles in Jesus' name. All of you, all of you are empowered to go on behalf of Jesus and set people free. All you have to do is say, he has sent me so that you can be free. So Father, I just anoint each one, I equip each one, we ask that each one would begin to get new directions that would excite them, that would challenge them, that all of the resistance that they would feel, they would quickly know this is awesome, that this resistance is evidence of God's great interest in this work getting done, and I get to be a part. So Father, we thank you for sending us out. Go with us this week, challenge us, speak to us about where we're going, and use us while we're there. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, love you guys.